Okay, hi everyone, it's EJ here. It's time for the next series in our Fire and Ice Faction Guide. And things are really getting weird now, because we have Chris Harris, or Fruity Harris, joining us for the Variable Factions. So that is the Shapeshifters and the Riverwalkers. And yeah, those are really, really different, interesting factions. Uh, I was extremely keen to have Chris to do one of these guides because he is the uh, he set up and runs the Fire and Ice Ladder on the Snellman website. So that is a really great way to play um, play these variable factions in a tournament form. He's been running the ladder for a long time now and doing a great job of it. Uh, so do if you play Snellman or you're interested. Go and have a look at that. Um, respect for Chris for <laughs> doing these factions as, like I mentioned, they are arguably the most complicated and maybe we think maybe the least well understood by the community. So um, he was sort of drawing on his experience and there's, there's, not much, there's not much in the literature about these variable factions, especially the Riverwalkers. Um, but they're really interesting. I'm sure people are having fun playing them, but we can try and learn how to be better here. Um, again, I hope you find this useful. If you can, I would refer to the faction boards, which are linked in the notes while you listen through, so you can sort of reference and try playing some games while you listen through or whatever and come back and improve. Uh, yes, I hope this is enjoyable and useful. This is Fruity Harris talking to me, EJ, about the variable factions. Thank you very much for agreeing to do this. Yeah, uh, very welcome. I'm very excited. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've been listening to the podcast, very much enjoying the, the Benny episode. Oh, uh, really? Oh, that's um, great. Love the name. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great um yeah i think ghostly was the original one who came up with the using using the air pun nice in the name um yeah uh it's like it's ah uh, they've been really good fun to make i i would probably just keep making them even if nobody was listening because i just like <laughs> talking to people and uh yeah it's really good that people are enjoying them yeah it's good to hear you've listened yeah yeah, well, I'm looking forward to talking. I reckon I could talk for at least an hour about these factions. So, yeah, I'm looking forward, <laughs> looking forward to that as well. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, originally, when I was planning it, I was thinking it's going to be like 10 to 15 minutes <laughs> per fact. I think I mentioned, didn't I, in the, in the message? Yeah. Uh, and then I talked to Matt the Lesser, and it went on. And, yeah, not, no, not that it went on for an hour. It just it did take an hour. And I was like, okay. 10 to 15 minutes per faction was way optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, he knows his ice factions as well, yeah. Um, nice on Volcano. He was Volcano, yeah. Like, he's, uh, yeah, he, uh, he told me everything about Ice Maidens that I know, but... Uh... Okay, yeah, he, he was very good. Um, I will say for the listener, for people who don't know, that you are Chris Fruity Harris and you run the F 
fire and ice ladder. So mm. for people who are excited about the fire and ice factions coming to board game arena, you can already play the fire and ice factions on snowman and you can join Chris's ladder. Um, sure can. And learn them, learn them in advance of them coming out on BGA. Um, yeah. And I really, the thing I really liked that you did is that video where you went through a game on the Fire and Ice ladder and you, were, you weren't playing a Fire and Ice faction where you were playing Engineers, I think. Yeah, that was a real lockdown, uh, lockdown project. Just like actually, obviously you're playing one move every like two or three days and it's kind of actually managing to kind of remember to sort of uh, record your thoughts after each one. Yeah, you can only really do it when you've got nothing else. Nothing else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you sure. Leave the house. But uh, sure. yeah, it was great. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, it was. It was interesting to see you talk through it. And um, yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, well, okay. So I guess let's say what are which are the two variable factions in Fire and Ice? First of all. Yeah, so we've got uh, shapeshifters and riverwalkers. And do you have a preference of which we go through first? Is there any that makes sense to go through first? Uh, good question. I think um, they're both crazy. Uh, they're both pretty <laughs> crazy. I would say um, I'd say shapeshifters are going to get more play. Mm-hmm. I would imagine on BGA. So I think I think I think that they may be marginally less crazy. Probably easier to explain. Okay, and but yeah, so I guess as well, I forgot my first question. Which the first question is, what is what does the variable terrain mean? So you don't, yeah, like how does that function in practice? Yeah, um, compared to compared to base factions and compared to the ice and volcano factions. Yeah, right. So when you pick one of the variable factions, you immediately choose a home terrain. Uh, from one of the seven base terrains. Um, so you can pick any that hasn't already been taken. Um, which, uh, yeah, is, um, is is all you do to start with, really. So that's pretty straightforward. But um, as you might guess, that gets a bit more complicated as the game progresses. So the shapeshifters will shift their, will shift their shape. The vocals will do some, some crazy stuff. We'll get on to that. <laughs> um, okay, so on shapeshifters then, uh, mm. What is their ability, their faction ability that they have? And it's not actually related to the color change, is it? That's right, yeah. So uh, their ability is a bit like the cultist one. So if they build or upgrade next to someone and that person then uh, accepts the leech, then they will get a... Instead of the, the cultist would get a step up the cult track, they don't get that. Instead, they get a power token uh, add straight into their third bowl. Um, for which they have to pay one victory point. So yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's right into the bowl, so they can spend it immediately if they so wish. And then the stronghold is where the actual color changing ability comes in, right? That's exactly right. Yes. So you can switch your home terrain to uh, any of the terrains that aren't taken, um, and that costs you something. But there's two ways to pay for it. You can um, spend a standard power action. You can spend five five power as if it was a standard power action, uh, or you can instead remove five power tokens from any of your power bowls. So there's a there's a bit of synergy there because your ability lets you gain power tokens, and then you can use those 
to fuel your transformations. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So I, th I think it's worth just pointing out um, the two sort of distinct benefits of that base ability. So yeah, you've got this, um, uh, getting this power token is, is, is a massive economy boost just on its own terms. So, so you know, so at the very least um, a coin, uh, which you're getting, you're paying a victory point for, which is kind of like sort of alchemist levels of, of engine boosting. Uh, unlike, but although you'll probably only do it about 10, 15 times in a game. But yeah, the second benefit is that you're, you're gradually accruing these power tokens. You start with eight, not the 12 that everyone else starts with. But uh, as you're, as you're um, using your, uh, your, your main ability, you're accruing these power tokens that you, you will then be able to use um, for, to sort of power your stronghold ability. Um, and so you'll be able to remove these five power tokens from your from bowls in your in, in your power bowls um, probably three or four times in a game, um, which is which is plenty enough. Um, you shouldn't ever really need to use the other the other ability that one where you spend five power to spend five power. Um, that's quite an expensive way of shifting to a different terrain. Uh, you yeah you should be using the one where you take take the power tokens out of your bowls. So you, yeah, you've got that. Mobility with the power and then the stronghold, which actually dominates the play with shapeshifters, or are they, yeah, which which is more important in a way? Right, yeah, good question. I mean, it's probably the main ability, I would say, although it's a tough call. Um, but yeah, I'd say the main ability is is what's going to um, is what makes them kind of quite an econ-based faction, economy-based faction. Like they, they, they should be able to get quite a lot of stuff out just because they're gaining this all this extra kind of uh, extra income early on. Uh, and it also defines kind of where they're going to start. They're going to start near people, and they're going to they're going to make sure they're building near people. Much like as you play with cultists. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so it's kind of across in terms of strategy, it's sort of across between cultists and alchemists early early on, and then you might end up getting a stronghold somewhere probably towards middle or end of the game. Um, uh, yeah, and in fact, um, I think uh, a lot of people do try and get the stronghold kind of round three or four, but what we're seeing at the top of the ladder at the moment is a lot of people having success or um, I say a lot. Um, not many people play these factions, which is why I'm so excited for them to come onto board game arena. Um, but when people do play shapeshifters at the top level, um, these days um, I'm seeing a lot of people Building this building stronghold like round five or six, um, so it ends up being quite late. Uh, okay, so you you stick to one color, and then only shift at the very end. Yeah, that's right. Um, I guess. Yeah, I don't know this. Can they build on a color that's not their color? So yeah, they can use spades like uh, any other faction. Yeah, so they mm. they can still use spades when they when they're shifting shape. They can't shift to anyone else's home terrain. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Which does that come into play when you're using when you've got volcano factions in the game? Because volcano factions don't have home terrain, so you can shift more. Yeah, that's right. So if you're playing against three or, or um, God help you, four sort of base factions, then you've got very few options of where you can actually shift to um because yeah most of the most of the other um terrains are, are someone's home terrain but yeah if you're playing against an ice faction and a volcano faction then then they don't they don't worry you they don't affect where you can where you can shift to at all mm -hmm. have, this is maybe an aside have you ever played with them in in real life on like a physical in-person game 
Yeah, I have, I have. Um, and I'm actually quite interested to see um, how it gets implemented on Board Game Arena because there's there's actually a big difference between real life and Snellman in terms of just how it looks. Um, yes. <laughs> on Snellman, there's this weird thing where when you shift, say I'm playing, I'm playing as green, so all of my um, all of my uh, dwellings are on green terrain, and then uh, I suddenly uh, shift to red. On Snellman, uh, all of the hexes that all my dwellings were on get turned to red, and the yeah. dwellings get turned to red. And it's like it's a bit of a a bit of a sort of um, quite hard to get your head around. You're like, oh, is this <laughs> yeah. a game? And we're playing against me. Like, what's just happened? Is this the game I was playing? Um, but it's, uh, in your life, it's um, it's kind of it's it's not so crazy, but it's actually in many ways maybe a little bit harder to to actually read the board. Um, because you just kind of you just you keep your original color pieces, um, or that's what I did when I played it anyway. Um, and then you you start. So I take my green dwellings. I'm starting to just put them on red hexes, and so I could, which um, I think you know your opponents could quite rightly say like, what what are you doing? Um, and I would guess that that's how they'll implement it in board game arena as well. So it'll be a bit of a kind of take people a while before they kind of remember that, uh, that shapeshifters are up are um, doing something a bit funny what color they're on yeah that's yeah but that did break my brain when i played on i've only played one game with them on snellman and right. yeah just that sudden change but also i was playing on i think it was the first time i played on fjords or lakes and so i didn't know what the colors of the hexes were before mm, so yes I, I was like totally messed my mind of <laughs> this like crazy changes but it does mean that you can at the end of the game i did some extra shape shifts even though i had nothing left to build to try and get the most attractive overall color palette for the board, uh, you can do some like style points, um, shape and and snowman. Um, so, is there anything? Is there anything else important to note about them? I'm just reading they can't upgrade digging yeah. beyond um, the first level. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else important? The stronghold stronghold is um, weirdly cheap. It's only three workers and six coins. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it's a sanctuary. I think it's four workers and six coins. But yeah, the stronghold is quite cheap, um, which does enable a kind of that sort of mid-game build. If um, that's a totally valid strategy, as far as I'm concerned. Um, some you could even build it quite early, but uh, I, don't, I don't think that's quite as recommended. Uh, yeah, they only start with eight power tokens: four in bowl one and four in bowl two. Um, and you're not going to be you're not going to be burning much power uh, it's not quite as bad as the dragon lords where you just be like you should never burn any power with dragon lords shapeshifters you can you can probably afford to burn one or two um power early on to get to get one of those power actions in round one but you you, you know you might have to by the time you've got your power through to bowl three even with a couple of kind of gaining power to constraint both three, your your most of the good power actions have gone so you might end up burning some of those cool uh, so that kind of brings us on to like their basic strategy mm. um, tips, like it, yeah, what what kind of things are you doing with them in terms of you've mentioned like how at what point in the game you might build your stronghold and stuff, but is there anything else that you do with them? Because you're trying to claw back the sort of victory points you're spending on these power tokens, um, it's pretty much a given that you're going to be trying to get Earth One. Um, so, because because you need to you need to get those victory points back somehow, um, 
much like alchemists yeah yes exactly yeah they're like a kind of um they're kind of like an alchemist light so yeah you're only going to spend maybe 15 points on 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 those power tokens but it's still you know that's that's quite a big head start to give people um for the same reason i wouldn't i wouldn't expect it to be to, to see them being bid down that much in uh in in auctions because i think you know they're, they're going to be um they're going to be hard to kind of win by a country mile with um but they are quite quite versatile um i think the, the best time to uh, what you see often in terms of when to pick them is actually as a kind of fourth fourth pick, and you kind of know what colour you want to be because of what other, what, what colours other people have chosen, but you don't really like the look of the two um, you know the two factions that are on that colour. You're like, well, uh, you know, I want to be I want to be green, but witches now and don't look like they're very um, very very strong here. I'm going to pick shapeshifters and green. Uh, that's that's they're quite versatile. They they can play in quite a lot of different. So long as you've got a lot of way, a di- few different ways to score points, they can play in a few different kind of setups. So um, so yeah, you can just uh, that yeah, you can you can do that with them in uh, fourth pick. Uh, okay, cool, cool. And so yeah, even though the stronghold's cheap, you're not often opening stronghold because you yeah, I guess you're going to build out on your home hexes, your initial home hexes first, and then look to maybe shift at some point once you and get some other cheap home hexes yeah that's right yes i mean if you start with a stronghold then you just um yeah you're not getting earth one which is which is one downside um but yeah if you should be able to uh should be able to use a couple of spades in rounds one and two to get to get onto some key hexes without having to shift and then so you mentioned that these this the variable factions don't get played much on snellman where we don't have uh auction or Mm. Um. Yeah. Wait. Fire and ice ladder. You don't have. It's not adjusted VPs or anything, is it? No. It's no, just no, it's not. VPs. Um. So, are they good? Are they a strong faction, or are they one of the weaker ones? So I would say they're average. Um, relatively versatile. Um. So yeah, they 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 they're not too niche. Uh, I'd say they're average. I don't think I don't necessarily think the stats back that up. I think that's because um, they're quite kind of uh, scary to play with, uh, and they take a while to to get used to, um, and and not many people have really invested the time to actually kind of figure out how to play them. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean a bit of a bit of history maybe. So when when the when the expansion finalized expansion came out, um, shapeshifters and Riverwalkers were both. Um, massively overpowered it turned out and they've gone through quite a few different iterations of being nerfed uh, to arrive at their current current version um, and I think people have kind of I think sort of the kind of consensus has been formed that they're a little bit over nerfed but I'm kind of hoping that uh, we can um, we can change narrative on that when they get to board game arena and actually we'll find that they're, that they're, they're kind of decent factions which is quite hard to play um, mm. yeah sure that's yeah that's that's very interesting and that yeah that is actually one of my questions is how difficult are they to play and i guess this is going to be a theme that managing these variable factions is not easy in terms yeah. of yeah using them effectively yeah that's right i mean partly their game just because their game plan is hard to visualize uh it's just really hard to kind of just get into the mindset of okay the, the, you know i'm i'm uh, I'm brown now, but I'm going to shift to grey soon, and then all oh, look all these hexes that will be open onto me. Oh, but then that brown hex that's the other side of that grey hex won't be available to me. So it's kind of you kind of um you, you can kind of get yourself a bit confused playing it. Well, I certainly found I did the first few times I played it. Um, but bear in mind that that goes for your opponents too. Like they they don't know what's going on, and trying to like trying to predict what shapeshifts are going to do is um it, it requires a fair bit of practice of having played against them. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's interesting. But yeah, that does mean it should be a fun one for people to get to get their teeth into. Mm. I do. I did read an excellent uh, <laughs> Zoras talked about um, a crazy opening he did. Um, oh, I really want to read out the the copy of what he wrote because it, it sounded hilarious. But basically, he did open Stronghold and he managed mm. to like get a town and do like two shape shifts in the round one or something and do this crazy thing but he said he had to think about it so much and he was wandering around um the park like visualizing all these crazy lines in his head (laughs) and it like broke his brain (laughs) and the way he wrote about it was excellent yeah (laughs) yeah no i'm in a place by um is that how you pronounce it um uh, under his under his other moniker of uh, Caravan Lizzie, uh, many years ago, saying talking about the the fun of a, a round one stronghold opening, but um, yeah, it's 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 fun. I don't know how I don't know if Zora's managed to manage to win the game starting with stronghold opening. Um, I've never managed. He said, favorite game of all time. I finished second, shape shifting twice to get a town in round one. I used the spade on B five to turn it green for shape shift that will only happen in round four. I remember walking in a park in Quebec City while playing that round one, the head full of lines and looking like a total lunatic. I remember feeling something close to disgust because it was too much. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, cool, cool. Okay. Uh, so do they work particularly well with any kind of map? I, gu- I guess map, are they sort of innocuous too because of the shape shifting i don't know or any kind of expansion scoring in terms of outpost scoring or stronghold sanctuary or blah 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 yeah so the map um yeah it's slightly relevant i mean it's they are a little bit vulnerable to um to factions who can come and steal their hexes just between them shifting and building um i really wish that i really wish that they had the rule that you can build as soon as you shift um build one dwelling as soon as you shift or something because it, it's, it's just so like frustrating oh, i really want to shift to this color but as soon as i do those blasted jetties are going to come and steal it from me this hex from me whatever uh okay that is so that's something should, people should be aware of yeah absolutely um, and that's easier on some maps than others. I've got, I've got, I've got a kind of theory that I've not really managed to bear out with any stats that they're actually um, their best map might be fjords because they they're, they're really good at kind of just punching through those really um, wide fjords um, mm. where they've got a little bit more protection than they do on you know something like the uh, the original map uh, where I've just had people just screw me over to one too many times. Mm-hmm. Um, Aside from that, yeah, I mean, yeah, the good and high scoring games. Um, you can look for a dwelling scoring just after stronghold scoring. Um, they, they, yeah, they, they do like all the expansion scorings, but they like some more than others. So um, the distance they can do really well at stronghold sanctuary distance they can do pretty well at. Um, the edge scoring—they're not quite as good as you might expect, um, and that's partly because of that vulnerability. So sort of by the by the time they're getting around to kind of building on the edge. Um, people, people can start kind of stealing, stealing the hexes um, from mm-hmm. them a little bit. Um, but also, I think because um, edge scoring involves everyone kind of dispersing out to the edges. So I think I think shapeshifters and probably you'll find cultists also just aren't great at that because it's like, well, I've got fewer neighbors than I would otherwise, and that, that kind of ruins my ability a bit. Cool. Okay. And so, <clears throat> yeah, the next question is: Are they fun to play? And it sounds like they might be difficult but once you get going you can wander around parks thinking of all your crazy lines and visualizing them and have fun 
definitely, yeah. That that visualizing get the game plan bit is really is definitely really fun. Yeah, I do I do see where it's coming from there. Um, I, I also like them. I like the sociability that they sort of share with the cultists of actually trying to think about how to how to stay near people. Um, and I like the kind of that VP inve investment that they share with the alchemists. That's the, you know that's one of my couple of my favorite kind of features of the game, and they have they have both of them. So it's um, so yeah, I, I I love playing with them for those reasons. It's always yeah, playing with a, a high econ faction is always fun, isn't it? Like yeah, you yeah. feel like you're you're powerful, and then you just don't have any points left, and you lose. But at least you had fun doing it. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Even if you lose, you're gonna have fun. I guess the the planning ahead thing though is gonna be maybe a bit different in bga world because you've obviously got that time to plan ahead in a mm. snellman match but this mm. is we're going to have the length of an auction or whatever yeah. the three minutes when you pick your faction to sort of visualize that plan and um i don't that doesn't sound like something i'd be capable of um but yeah it's going to be manic and i expect that the right answer will be that maybe that'll mean people will lean even more towards kind of uh, building the stronghold late um which as i say it seems like quite a quite a decent strategy anyway um and uh, and they're not too technical a faction aside from that sort of uh shifting so so until you build a stronghold they're kind of you can kind of just kind of go with the flow to some extent and then if you're up against the shapeshifters are there any particular ways that you should look to counter them or any things you should be afraid of them? Mm. Yeah, well, that, I mean, they are, they, they can, they can definitely take you by surprise with their, uh, with their shifting and suddenly they're, they're stealing a key hex from you. But, but even more than that, they are vulnerable to, to, to aggressive factions going and stealing their key hexes. Just, just wait for them to shift and then go and like go and pounce. Um, which is which is a good fun thing to do. Um, aside from that, I think um, yeah, look, looking to decline leech uh, at sort of key points. So it's, but if they ever drop below five power tokens, don't just don't let them get back get back up to five power tokens, and then they're toothless. They can't use either of their um, their kind of costs to uh, to shift. So then they they just can't shift. So just look out for that. Don't don't let, don't let them off the hook if they're on four power tokens keep the yeah just yeah deny that leech that they offer you that's interesting excellent very good that was really good i like that so <laughs> level two yeah river walkers are so i think i mentioned to Ransavant when he was starting to program them whether i think i asked which would be the easiest and hardest to program and i think i suggested that river walkers would probably be the hardest and i think he agreed with me i might be misremembering um but they're quite hard they're quite weird to visualize yeah, it sounds it sounds plausible yeah yeah I, there's a couple of the uh, maybe a couple of the landscape tiles that might make other factions hard like the acolytes but yeah this this one's going to be yeah, it's going to be so many so many weird rules uh, mm. so, so hard to yeah, so hard to visualize. Um, and we're going to try and do it on yeah on a podcast, uh, which is uh, sort of a yeah extra hard level. So this is what Matt mentioned as well, uh, which I think makes some sense. Is he suggested that maybe people would want to listen to what we talk about now, then go away and play a few games with the factions, and then maybe come back, and it might make a bit more sense listening <laughs> to it again. And that's yeah. not just to pump up the numbers of downloads of the podcast. <laughs> that's, 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 you know, sounds like reasonable advice to me that you might want to come back uh, once you've, you've got some idea. But um, let's have a go with it. 
what is the main ability of the river walkers cool so you remember that they start with uh, a home terrain um and they they don't they can't use any spades um uh, as it says in the rule book they don't know what spades are but it's completely useless to them Mm-hmm. Um, but whenever you gain a priest from anywhere, um, instead of actually getting that priest, um, you can instead pay one or two coins to unlock uh, an additional home terrain. So that would be a, another terrain that you can build on without paying any kind of terraforming cost. Well, I, I guess I was going to say is often I've, I find that it's worth sort of trying to visualize this as if you were playing in real life. And with shapeshifters, you've got a little wooden ring that you move around your faction board as you shift shapes, right? But with river walkers, your your color wheel, you start with a priest placed on every color, so it's locked off that you can't build on them. And as you get those priests, you take those priests off the color wheel, like you're unlocking the color, right? That's exactly right. Yes, that's right. So so um uh so you start with um six priests uh, dotted around the six um colors on your on your on your color wheel. That you did that part of your home terrain, and then that one priest that would have been on your home terrain is in your supply. There. So, um, and then uh, you you gain a priest, take main calm, then come around. Then uh, instead of actually taking that priest from your supply, um, you you leave that where it is, and actually that priest gets a little friend because you choose another color from your color wheel to take a priest off of that in your supply. And now you've got two colors. They don't have to be adjacent colors; they can be anywhere on a color wheel. Uh, two colors that are now free for you to build on. Um, and that costs you one coin to do, uh, or two coins if it's someone else's home terrain that you've unlocked. So again, like the volcano factions, there's a little bit. Oh, and like the yeah, the shapeshifters is a little bit of protection of other folks' mm. home terrain. Uh, it's slightly yeah. more expensive, but you can build on other folks' home terrain. Home terrain. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, no, sort of a similar kind of level of protection as the acolytes i have not actually that much in practice um how fun it is to build another people's home terrain uh, much much less protection than shapeshifters or dragon lords yes yeah and so that's their ability but they also have that goes with their ability they have the restriction of where they can build right yeah, this is this is their this is the kind of uh, tough bit right so um so the good news is you start with shipping value of one um, but the bad news is that you can only build on hexes that you can reach by river. So if you could only get to a hex via a land border, then you can't build on that hex. Um, even if even if it's right next to a hex you've already built on, exactly, it's it's inaccessible to the river walkers. They've only got little boats that they paddle down the river. Yeah, that's right. Um, the, the the theme kind of breaks down when you've got um, kind of. Like a bit like a sort of isthmus where you've got kind of like one, uh, you know, a, a sort of island of width one, like you do in the kind of um, a bit of the fire and ice map. So you can actually, they can traverse that one width hex and go and like go and uh, go and jump into another river. But anyway, that's 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 a minor point. Uh, basically, yeah, if you've got if you're if you're trying to go via a land border from one hex to another, then then that's not allowed. Yeah, yeah, that is difficult to. <laughs> it's difficult to <laughs> picture i hope we've explained that quite well i'm thinking <laughs> i just played diplomacy recently and it's like fleets in diplomacy so, yeah and this is a couple more things so to just uh, throw into the mix there so you you can't advance shipping uh, so you're you're stuck on one 
Um, although you can temporarily get to two shipping via the that, the bonus tile that, that that increases your your shipping temporarily, and that does actually turn out to be occasionally useful, uh, which is surprising. Um, and the reason why it's occasionally useful is that although um, you can't reach a hex via a land border, if you do somehow actually end up on two hexes that are only joined via a land border, they do still count as connected for network purposes. Oh, my word. Okay. Right. <laughs> Brilliant. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So so you could do that a couple of ways. Um, so you either, obviously, you're starting with two but starting on two different um, starting hexes, and so they, they may they may not be accessible to each other via you know any number of um, one ship jumps, but they might be accessible via a one ship jump and then a land border. And actually, if you're if you manage to build manage to touch your sort of two empires from where the two places you started with, then they will now be one one big network. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, that. That makes sense. I guess as well, could you do it where if you've you've you're green, uh, you could two ship to another green hex, and there's like a black hex in between, and you haven't yet unlocked black, but you know that later in the game you're going to unlock them and then connect that way. That could be a way you could use the temp ship as well, maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So it could be it can be good sometimes just for just for early expansion as well. As well as for like uh, increasing your your options, because because the thing, um, if anyone has managed to visualize this, they might might be uh, getting quite stressed out now about how on earth they're going to connect, uh, uh, or how they're going to avoid getting cut off by by people. Because yeah, with 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 a maximum one shipping and no ability to go via land, you you can you can get yeah sort of uh, restricted pretty quickly. I'm playing a game at the moment where um, I'm playing against some river walkers who it's like it's round three and they they're restricted to only seven hexes on the map already. <laughs> okay. I'll never be able to go anywhere else on the map. Um, so so yeah, that's uh, that's that's painful. Okay, and then I'm just looking at so th- there's the stronghold ability and towns as well. How do towns work differently? no uh pounds work the same and they yeah again pounds can can be joined by land borders the same way as network um but the stronghold gives you two bridges immediately that's what stronghold ability is so that's that's going to be very important for you to build you are going to need bridges to build towns because your your dwellings are going to be all over the place on different sides of a river uh and um yeah you're going to need to join them up with bridges if you want to if you want if you want to turn them into towns Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah. So you build the stronghold, you immediately get two bridges. That's great. And yeah, then you're building your towns. Uh, but those bridges are coming. Fr- they're still within your three limit in a match, right? Yeah. You you can't build anymore. Okay. That's right. Um. Okay. So talked about that for a long time. But the defining feature, it seems like, is is this river. Well, it's the river walking way they. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess is the defining feature more their sh- their one ship only build on rivers, or is it the unlocking new territory with priests? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it is. I think it is that river walking that that you're always thinking about uh, when you're playing them. Um, but obviously, it would be they would be totally unplayable without a very um, relatively cheap way to to gain new uh, new terrains. So that's uh, yeah, that's that's pretty important too. I guess it's worth mentioning that you can choose to just take a priest. If you want to take a priest to, I mean, you can't upgrade ship, 
but to send to a cult or something, mm. you can take a priest as income rather than unlocking right. a terrain. That's right, you can and you, and you will. Uh, towards the end of the game, that will, that will happen uh, for sure. Uh, I mean, do we want to... Well, let's 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 just um, quickly finish off the la the most the last kind of fiddly annoying rule of the Riverwalkers, because when you talked about that, um, how what it actually looks like in real life, so you've got all these priests covering these terrains. That means you've only got one priest in your supply, whereas everyone else has got seven, right? So someone else could theoretically gain take get, gain seven priests in round one and put them all to the to the to the cults, but you you could only gain one priest from your supply because the rest are all locked up on your terrain wheel. So um, uh, now that doesn't really matter that much in practice because that's sec the, the first time you gain a priest in the game, you're really you're you're basically going to use it to unlock terrain instead. Now you've got two priests in your supply, uh, so you'll be fine. You'll you'll rarely run out of priests. Um, but but yeah, it's just a for completeness. We should mention that little bit of rule as well. Sure, sure. Um, and is is there anything else about them that we've mm. mentioned that they can't dig, so they can't upgrade mm. digs either? Um, yeah, there's um, there's a couple of things I share with the engineers, um, which is that um, their second temple does not give a priest; it gives five power, um, and also that their third and sixth dwellings don't give any work of income or any income at all. Ah, uh, sure, yes. So that is very similar to the engineers, although they do have a base worker income do they with no dwellings um i believe so yes yes they do uh they also only start they do only start with um they have 12 power tokens but 10 of them start in bowl one so it takes them a long time to get up to any uh uh anything that they could spend on a, on a power action in particular it's, you're not guaranteed to be able to buy a priest in in round one yeah which i guess as we talk about basic strategies i guess yeah you're ideally you're looking for maybe you're looking for the priest bonus tile to be in the game and maybe you're going to take it into round one and then yeah you're looking to hit that priest power action fairly often i guess maybe <laughs> uh so i think that that's that that sounds totally valid and i think that is um how they're played quite a lot um i mean they're, they're Ultimately, no one really knows. There's very few um, people have even sort of uh, been brave enough to say what what a good revolver strategy might be. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's I think it's very natural um, to sort of assume that you're going to um, yeah you're going to want to get get a, get your priest income sorted, um, which uh, ideally by building a temple, but there's other ways too. And then you're going to want to build a load of dwellings. And then there's two reasons why there's a good reason to do that. One is that um, once, you, once you've even unlocked one terrain, you can, uh, you can um, do a bit more fun version of what Zoras is doing in Quebec, which is basically you can just stare at the board and be like, oh my god, I can go there, 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 there. Like Even with like two terrains and one shipping, you can build a bunch of dwellings. And, and once you've got like three terrains and one shipping, you're like uh, the, map, the map is your oyster. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it's very tempting to put on those dwellings, and and it's also very um, tempting to do because um, you're you're immediately stressed out about how on earth you're going to connect all your dwellings because yeah, it's so easy to be to be cut off, um, as we said before. So, so I think um, that that is a pretty pretty standard way of playing. Um, I it doesn't I mean they they don't do very well, <laughs> and um, I have a theory that I am uh, working on. Uh, working on uh, on on proving, which um, 
I will I will share with your listeners as a reward for getting this far through the description of Riverwalkers. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually the best way to play them is to try and get up to two temples um, as quickly as possible. Um, like ideally by getting the two worker bonus tile and, and just getting two temples in round one. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you get Earth one and then you can get either Fire two or um, sorry, Earth two or Fire one. Um, so either yep. the worker income or the coin income, depending on what's kind of uh, scarce in the game. Um, and at that point, your income is so strong because you're getting that five power every turn. Um, from the second from, temple. From the, yeah, from the second temple. You're getting you know, some income from your income favor. Um, and you will be able to build loads of dwellings with, with a bit of patience. You might only be able to build two, two dwellings in round two, but then suddenly you'll be able to build uh, you know, as many dwellings as, as, as you can shake a stick at in round three and, and a load more in round four. Um, and that, and you, your engine becomes so strong that actually you can um, you, you get up to at least 15 structures by the end of the game. Um, so even if you don't actually connect, even if one of your temples just gets stranded as people build around it, um, you're probably still going to do pretty well on the end game scoring. You will get. Um, you will also find that actually you'll be able to be more aggressive because you're holding off on your dwellings until around three or four. You can actually start being quite sort of surgical about right. I'm going to build here because that's going to annoy this faction. I'm going to build there because it's going to annoy that faction, rather than just having to kind of like throw some down at the beginning of the game and everyone can then build around you. Um, mm. So um, yeah, that's my theory, and I it's 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 definitely borne out in the games I've played with River Walkers so far. Building two temples in round one. Uh, looks to be um, pretty strong, but it's, it's early days. Yeah. Okay. That. Yeah. That's 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 great. That's really interesting. I guess. And and I mean, generally, the stronghold is giving you bridges. You're not looking to build it early. It's not an economic stronghold, so that's going to come later when you're finishing towns off and you need those bridges. That's right. And 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 generally also the sanctuary. So you're looking for like uh, yeah, big big buildings uh, in the end, later rounds for the purely for the purpose of, of getting your towns out. So, so yeah, the, the big building and town tiles towards the end of the game is good. The other thing that's pushed me towards the, um, the, two, the sort of um, holding off on building dwellings is just that, um, those, that worker income um, issue around you know, um, uh, dwelling three and six not giving you worker income. I think some, I can't remember who, but someone posted a great kind of mathematical analysis of the engineers where they were like, this is kind of, this is, your kind of return on investment for your dwellings per, per, per dwelling uh, as you go up as the engineers and kind of like it just it, it's just it just makes so much sense to stick on on two dwellings basically or either two or eight <laughs> dwellings as the engineers um and yeah yeah that in zoras's ultimate guide i don't know if he uh, originally posted it but yeah he mentions that yeah two dwellings with earth two as engineers is mm. a very efficient income um, yeah place to be um cool so same exact same thing for the uh for the workers and then and yeah they can use that power as well for coins and workers so this is i guess this is what's kind of good is you've got um you've kind of got the cultists and alchemists analogy for shapeshifters and then you've got the engineers analogy to help you sort of manage playing with Mm. um yeah with Riverwalkers. yeah yeah um we've talked about the basic strategies i guess we we're also talking about like how they work well so you're talking about yeah late towns 
um, mid-game dwellings mm. and later Stronghold Sanctuary as well. Is there anything else? I'm guessing you don't necessarily want or need the spade bonus tile in the game because they can't use it. So That's exactly right. Yeah, you definitely, um, definitely want to look for uh, no spades, uh, no, no low, low spade games. Um, you, um, they're, they're they're very, as you might imagine, very um, uh, reactive to what, to what map it is. So they are really nice to play on Loon Lakes, um, but they are horrible to play on fjords. Um, yeah, because Lakes has got lots of sort of one ship. Yeah land masses separated and then fjords yeah like you mentioned before you've got that big expansive island that they just i mean they literally can't get there right can they they just that's right yeah can't get in there mm -hmm. i'm thinking as well is that there's that you know like a a witch's dwelling rush or a green faction dwelling rush on base map uh if your green river walkers mm. on base map is that something you can do you've got all those green hexes one ship away could you smash out a load of dwellings that way as river walkers yeah for sure so yeah there's um i think it's you know you can you can certainly get uh, a temple and two dwellings down as green river walkers um on on the base map very easily um i think you'd have to if i remember right you'd have to either have the shipping bonus tile or um manage to unlock the great terrain to also to get to get to a proper dwelling rush but yeah you could you, oh, yeah, could, of course. you could certainly certainly do do that um and yeah that's 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 nice and fun um but i think that the, the problem with with using a uh, temporary shipping there is that then you've got to you've got to fill all the gaps before anyone else blocks you off yeah yeah okay makes sense um on this expansion scoring uh they're great with clusters um because they building they're building clusters uh they're pretty bad at edge scoring they, there's um surprisingly hard to get the edge of the maps most of the maps when you're um when when you can only build on rivers um there, there is a kind of like a play on fjords where you go sort of um yeah go sort of north or or, or east but uh but but yeah it's it's going to be a bit painful mm. clusters makes a lot of sense so yeah because yeah. you are just dotting your buildings around the rivers yep yeah um cool so are they are they good or bad or is it unknown <laughs> i mean i would say it's unknown I, I think i think what they are is niche so um if you're looking at, at a board and it's there's, there's it's low spade um it's on loon lakes um and it's uh, cluster scoring then um then river walkers are a pretty like good shout um especially if it's late late scoring for towns or for big buildings then yeah, absolutely jump on Riverwalkers and, and pay pay quite you know pay quite a bit for them I'd say. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas yeah, if it's if it's the opposite of that, if it's fjords, loads of spades, um, maybe low coin. Um, unless you are planning to go for the two temple strategy, then then they they don't thrive in a low coin game. Um, then uh, then yeah, I think uh, sort of stay clear basically. Cool. Yeah, I, I guess uh, actually one thing I forgot to ask is. Are you trying to win cults as Riverwalkers, or are you pre? Are you just do you just not have the priests? Are you not, are they a culty faction at all? We definitely have spare spare priests later in the game. Uh, so yeah, you're gonna you're probably gonna end up gaining maybe six or seven priests, and you're only gonna really want to unlock I don't know maybe four terrains. So you are gonna have a few priests. Um, so you might be able to compete on one of the kind of less 
helpful cults, one that doesn't actually get you any, any bonuses out of the game and is kind of still sitting there for relatively uncontested towards the end. You can check a couple of priests there um because you won't uh, while everyone else is spending them on advancing shipping so but it's it's a bit kind of opportunistic it's not uh it's not something to, to factor into a game plan much i would say yeah and not yeah you're not going to get those income cuts i guess mm. that yeah that's another thing now i think of it. it are you generally ending up with all of the non-opponent colors unlocked on the color wheel is that like a common situation because you've got the cheap unlocks or is that not really the case yeah that's a good question i don't think i've noticed that I, i'm quite i'm a relatively aggressive player and um i i probably tend to hate those silly opponents colors it's only one coin um extra mm. and and it just means that you know you, you you get red suddenly chaos magicians are sort of uh, starting to to get a little bit worried about where they're gonna where they're gonna place all their all their dwellings or whatever it is so so i think um yeah for me i i i don't pay that much mind and i do i just try and um think about where it's gonna be most annoying for my opponents yeah am i thinking about it the wrong way because i'm because like dragon lords it's twice the cost to um attack yeah. an opponent's hex but yeah actually in the scheme of things one coin isn't that much so maybe i'm thinking about it the wrong way and you yeah it sounds like it's worth being more aggressive and yeah threatening your opponent's home color more hmm. yeah cool cool uh very nice right uh there's maps and stuff and so like you're saying that yeah they're pretty tricky to play and they are still being developed so yeah um yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens with them being played on bga but they do sound kind of fun and when i've, I've seen them played mm. once and they do look like quite a laugh to be sailing around the rivers and dotting buildings everywhere yeah, definitely. They're really fun. Uh, and um, they, yeah, especially once it sort of starts a bit slowly, maybe, and then you kind of unlock a couple of lanes and suddenly you're just kind of uh, like, uh, yeah, you're doing a sort of supermarket sweep type thing. <laughs> around, around the map, they're like, oh, yeah, take that, take that. And the, the frustrations are that you run out of, well, you run out of dwellings and, and you run out of coins if you're if you're doing a kind of either a sort of zero temple or one temple temple opening um and then suddenly it can be a bit of a slog as you're kind of trying to upgrade your trading post so you can build more dwellings and it's kind of a bit like you're always at sort of seven or eight dwellings mm. and you can't quite afford to like to pay the coins to upgrade your trading post and you and you're nowhere near a town <laughs> uh, being formed because all your dwellings are everywhere so it's kind of it can be it can be a bit of a roller coaster of a kind of like stressful start fun middle and then a um or fun kind of uh early mid game and then a kind of quite a slog in the mid game um shots sure. i think one if you're if you kind of look out for that and find ways to, to avoid that situation then uh yeah they're really fun for sure that's cool yeah i think there's also something fun about them because i'm looking at the rules and the river walker is he's just like a dude with some hair and an oar in his hand and yeah. like the other faction is like the dragon lords, the <laughs> yetis, and he's like a huge yeti. But you know the riverwalker, they've just got their little boats and they just go around building their dwellings. And in the end, they might win and beat the dragon lords who've run out of power <laughs> and can't build anymore dwellings. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. I, I, I agree. I, I, in my head, they're kind of walking on stilts. I don't know if that's actually like canon or not, but for, in my head, they've all got big stilts they use to cross the rivers. <laughs> yeah yes i like it yeah so yeah just picture that as you're you're playing with them um 
that's why winning with engineers is fun as well because the nerds yeah. the nerds conquer all <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> uh cool that's really good and then finally um other factions playing against river walkers uh what are we worried about or how can we how can we counter them in any way i guess built like building on the rivers is a good way mm. and because uh, you're taking their hexes yeah good point and and just yeah i'm just uh, looking for ways to block them um i mean it can be quite yeah it, it can be quite mean um uh just just that they will they're, they're, they're one of the few factions where they just sometimes they'll just have one hex if they get it then everything's looking rosy and if they don't then their game is ruined and um yeah depending how ruthless you are as a player <laughs> you, uh, you know you, you may have an opportunity to save that hex it might cost you a bit it might be really cheap for you but like yeah you you may well just have a chance to just go and grab that hex that just ruins their game um so that, that is an option uh generally yeah you can you can block and frustrate them um and you, you, want, you need to watch out as well for they can suddenly just get to a point where they can kind of uh, screw with some of your plans, but for the but much more, I think you can screw with their plans. Okay, yeah, but if uh, yeah, obviously, if they get to the point where they're unlocking your your color, you need to you need to lock up those hexes that they yeah. might have access to. True, and this is the, this is the other thing why like my current mantra for Riverwalkers is um, you know focus on sort of expansion, not collection. When I'm playing as the Riverwalkers, um, because actually, yeah, um, if you if you don't worry too much about actually trying to connect up all of your all of your hexes, and you kind of just um, you just try and get try and expand as far as you can from one of your starting dwellings, and don't worry about the other one, you can actually find that you can still you can still um, do pretty well in terms of network scoring at the end, and it just takes away a load of stress, and it means it means you're much less vulnerable. It's, it's it's the connection bit where you're vulnerable in terms of actually expanding you're generally going to have options so long as you're a little bit smart you're generally going to have a few different play ways you can unlock a different terrain color and then you've got a few more places you can expand into that's great yeah that's great i, I really like that little tip that's cool um i guess as well as other factions playing against them you at least know that if they haven't unlocked your color yet they cannot build on your mm. hexes um so you yeah, in that way, your your hexes mm. can be very safe. Yeah, that's true, and I think it's definitely worth taking a little bit of time just to think about which hex, which terrain are they going to unlock next. And if it's not yours, then that means you don't have to be quite so kind of um, defensive, and you can actually just be good neighbours with them and get a nice little leech off them, and uh, and and know that your hex is nice and safe, and actually they're protecting you from from other factions coming in and grabbing your grabbing your uh, your terrain. So actually, yeah, I think if you if you can look at them, and be like, I would definitely not unlock red at this point. Then um, then then you can yeah you can you can play nicely with them. Okay, and am I starting to overthink this now? But you, <laughs> you could even like, so say your witches, you could like leave them a blue hex right. that you might have dug normally but then you're like oh there's this blue hex and then there'll be blue instead of green and you uh -huh. can just think i don't know maybe i'm overthinking it what i did do in a game recently is um i i i, I spent quite a bit as dwarves i spent you know quite a few workers more than i would normally would grabbing a gray hex next to the river walkers just to make it really really obvious to them that they shouldn't unlock the gray terrain next 
just out, you know, uh, yeah, which which yeah. meant that the rest of my grey hexes were safe, safe to fight another day. So yeah, I mean, there's 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 definitely kind of a little bit of uh, uh, influ influencing that you can do around that. That's nice. That's nice. Oh, excellent. I yeah, I feel like you've done a, a very good job of well, what the best possible job of explaining. Yeah, especially in the Rivewalkers, a very difficult faction. Is there anything else to know or anything else you want to mention about them or about the shapeshifters? Um, I don't think so. No, just to reiterate that I'm just really looking forward to seeing uh seeing the kind of um strategy develop and um and I, I kind of hope that I, you know, can listen back to this in a year's time and find out I was totally wrong about how to play both these factions and there's actually uh, all these the other ways that um that you should play them. Uh so yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the the BGA community just getting getting on it. Cool, yeah. And I will link to the there's the um the Steve four nine six's threads, right? I I haven't actually looked at the shapeshifter. I haven't looked at any of the expansion faction ones, actually, to be honest. But yeah, there is some sort of prior prior art in there for people to have a look at, I guess. But yeah, it will be interesting to see. And there's like one post in a Riverwalkers one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is fun. It's fun to think that there's yeah, there's like new potentially new ground to be to be found even though i am overall scared of these expansion factions because <laughs> change is scary <laughs> yeah yeah some auctions will be difficult difficult to judge but uh yeah and, oh and the landscape i mean i've not i've not i've never played with the landscape uh, expansions with these guys so uh yeah i'm really really excited about that yeah yeah i i'm i haven't even thought of the landscapes uh yeah do you have any idea about them Shapeshift just is easy enough. You can you can just do one shapeshift straight away, which I think uh, I think would be pretty pretty powerful. But uh, yeah, I can't, I can't remember what the focus one is, and I'm sure it will be extremely extremely complex. <laughs> okay, sure. All right, here we go. I've loaded it up. The river walkers. It's just a dwelling that you put on the river, the floating palace. Oh uh, right, it's a bit like a, um, the mermaids. Yeah, I was thinking of the mermaids as another analogy for river walkers, except that. Um, yeah, the big difference being mermaids can expand to five shipping and the river walk is six to one. But yeah, okay, so it's a bit similar. That's similar. That's like basically the same as the mermaids. Maybe. Yeah, sounds about it. I guess the other thing mermaids is mermaids can actually build on land other, other than like the river walkers. Yeah. They have no shipping and <laughs> cannot build in. There's an awful faction. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> no. They're great. They're good. Cool. Um, ah, this is really good. Thank you very much. It was really nice to have you, the proprietor of the Fire and Ice Ladder, to do one of these. I'm very grateful for your time. Um, oh, thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. And yes, I suggest everyone goes and plays on the Fire and Ice Ladder because um, mm. that's there. Or you can even just try them out on Snellman. But yeah, the Fire and Ice Ladder is great thing that's been running how long have you been doing it for now quite a few years right i think it's been a couple of years so we do a game every two weeks and we're on to games close to game 100 so it must be close to four years maybe maybe three three and a half years and um yeah game every two weeks uh yeah go to well the url is fireiceladder.azurewebsites.net but i think if you just type fireiceladder or one word into your favorite search engine you should find the website and uh yeah sign up it's um point of a ladder is it's uh it's accessible for all different um, kind of uh, abilities. Yeah, 
and you get a game every two weeks, don't you? It's not like TM Tour where they all happen at once. It's every two weeks a new game starts and you you can sort of complete it at your leisure as long as it's within the, the Snellman time limits. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's nice and relaxing. Although, although that presents surprising difficulties for designing a ladder, actually, like having games that might finish at any time in any order. Um, took us quite a while to sort of arrive at a good format of how you actually kind of process those games and move people up and down the ladder. But uh, as 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 you'd expect, the uh, sort of um, Terra Mystica community on uh, BGG uh, did a, so we sort of uh, did a great job of kind of uh, helping me through that design process. I mean, I think we've got some pretty, pretty good answers now. Uh, I read the whole thread. I love I love the way you guys developed it and you were working it. And I even like got out a pen and paper and worked out how the scoring system worked because i was just like there's this formula and it's got n's and s's and t's <laughs> and it like updates your score but yeah it's updating your score based on like when the game comes in which you don't know yeah it's, it's very clever i love it great work it's a over engineered no it's awesome ah uh great thank you very much for talking um i'll speak ah. to you soon yeah, thanks. It's been a pleasure.